Welcome inside the Locked On NFL Draft Podcast. My name is Trevor Sycamore. With me, once again, is Benjamin Solak. Ben, I didn't introduce you as the uh, contextualized quarterbacking author this time because you only get one day. I'm not going to give you it was all, It's only worth one day. I'm not intro. giving you free pub. You've got to pay me for the rest of it. Um, okay, we, we are co-workers at the same place. Listen, you've got to pay me for it. That's I don't do free advertising around here. We are... Really getting into the mid-20s here. Well, not quite the mid-20s, but we're creeping up on it in this 2019 guest mock draft uh, where we've had a different kind of beat reporter or NFL draft guy on every single team to give us some insight on the teams and make a mock draft pick. We'll recap it for you really quick. I'll try to go really quick. Uh, Cardinals went number one. They took Kyler Murray. Uh, 49ers got Nick Bosa. Jets went Josh Allen. Raiders went Quinn and Williams. Bucks went Ed Oliver. Giants went Dwayne Haskins at six. Super interesting. Jaguars went Jonah Williams, Lions went Montez Sweat, Bills TJ Hawkinson, Broncos Devin White, Bengals Devin Bush, Packers Brian Burns, Dolphins Christian Wilkins, Falcons went Juwan Taylor, Redskins went Byron Murphy, Panthers Clune Farrell, Giants went DK Metcalf. Which Ben, ben forgot we, on the last Ben show. forgot, ben you, forgot that. you were so hyped up about it that you literally made me forget, so I'm mad at you, okay? Making okay, errors, that's, that's on my, forcing errors on my own podcast. Vikings went Jeffrey Simmons. Titans got Eric McCoy. Steelers went Greedy Williams. Seahawks, Jerry Tillery. Ravens went Paris Campbell. And here we are with the Houston Texans at number 23. And to help us out, we have Jordan Reed. He does a ton of stuff, basically on Twitter, but he does all kinds of stuff for Cover 1 as well. Uh, he's got an awesome draft guide out, which all of you should go read. You put a ton of work into it. It's really great stuff. Jordan. Thanks so much for joining the show, man. We really appreciate it. Thank you guys for having me. I'm really excited to be here. All right, so the first question, I got to ask you, you know, before we get into even some draft stuff and some text and stuff, you have rose the ranks so quickly of, like, draft Twitter, if we want to call it that. I've been super impressed by, you know, the, the things that you've been doing on social media, how you've created your own brand, how you kind of got into scouting and created your own platform out of it. Man, just kind of take me back. How did you get into scouting? What's your? Do you have a background with football? Um, how'd you get to kind of this point as a writer? Now you're doing it. Uh, now you're doing it kind of full speed here. So, what was the starting point for you? Yeah, so I kind of have an interesting story. I would say I've been a long way. Uh, so I played at a small school called North Carolina Central University, who's in Durham, North Carolina. It's about five minutes down the road from Duke. I'm sure everybody has heard of that. So. I played there from 2010 to 2013, and after that, would you uh, play what position? I played quarterback. Oh, yeah, okay. I played quarterback there. Uh, small conference. Um, there's a lot of talent in that conference, Trevor. I know you're very familiar with Ryan Smith. Uh, he he went there. I am indeed. Uh, he yes, was a sir. former teammate. He was a former teammate of mine. Uh, Darius Leonard, Tariq Cohen, are two other guys that have played in that conference before. So, it's a small school, diamond in the rough type of conference, but there's a ton of talent there so I played there played quarterback started there for three years uh, after that I went directly into coaching uh, I coached running back there for three years um, I also was a recruiting coordinator there so I've had a lot of experience and a lot of background with not only just playing but coaching and scouting so I've been I've seen through all different types of lenses and I've always been infatuated with just the development of players and also just getting to learn their background stories. And that's something that you really learn to do just sitting in all these guys living rooms with their parents and you're learning to, you're learning their backgrounds and just how they got to this point. 
and also with the draft guide, now you're seeing why I'm just so infatuated with finding out all of these guys' background stories, what makes them tick, uh, what are the standards and the values that they stand on. So after coaching, uh, we were unfortunately let go there a couple years ago, and then I got right into scouting. It's something that I've always wanted to do just because there isn't a lot of job security, I would say, in coaching, and you guys know that. You've seen coaches bounce around every year. But with scouting, uh, on the media side, there's a bit more job security, and it's something that I've always wanted to do. So I just created a Twitter account, and we went from there. So here I am now, and I'm just proud of the how far we've come along, and I'm excited to once again be on the show with you guys too. Man, I I love that you are so big into the background on a lot of these guys because you know I've been scouting for probably five or six years now. Most of it just real amateur stuff. Just same thing as you, kind of just coming up, really having a desire to do it, and really is probably year two, year three of scouting for me when I was like, man who these dudes are matter just as much as like how good they are sometimes. And when it comes to attaining a ceiling. And so I used to just like go on YouTube and, and after I watched some tape on a guy, I'd go watch a, a, an interview with him and, and just see how they reacted to certain questions, pick up on personality traits. Uh, if they had a great story to tell, I'd go read it or, or watch it or something like that. And so um, I don't, I'm really glad that you brought that up. Cause that's such a cool part of scouting for me. So sorry, Ben didn't mean to, didn't mean to cut in front of you there. If you had a question. <laughs> No, well, I want to take the, a second here to, to we we kind of uh, on Monday show we talked about Dame Brewer's draft guide, which is the beast, obviously at the Athletic. I want to talk about Jordan's draft guide for a second, which is uh, super sick, over 200 prospects graded. You can find it at CoverOne.net. Uh, all of the proceeds from the draft guide go to Rise Against Hunger, which is really really cool, and yeah. it's awesome to see that something like a draft guide, which just lets people you know peruse through Jordan's thoughts on, on the prospects and lets them better know the players uh, that the team eventually selects is going to a charity. So, I mean, big ups to you for that, Jordan. Thank you so much for doing that. And so make sure that you cop a copy of it. But I do want to bring it up because, Trevor, mm-hmm. we are among Quinn and Williams' prospect number one friends. Oh! We are we are among Brian Burns' <laughs> top ten player friends. Oh! We are among Brian Burns' above Josh Allen friends. We are among Trayvon Wesco' top ten tight end friends. Let's so go! We have, That's the biggest We have an one. ally in many of our <laughs> trenches here in Jordan. So let me ask you this, Jordan. I'm looking through the grades right now. 22 first-round grades for you on your board. And like I said, some of the big ones that stand out. Quinnen is, is one overall. Kyler's four overall. Brian Burns is six overall. The player I want to ask you about specifically is going to be uh, Andre Dillard. 13th overall tackle for you. I believe he's your second tackle here on the board. And then I'd also like to hear a little bit more about uh, Greedy Williams, who made it as your last first-round grade. What has you high on Dillard? What has you a little bit low on Greedy Williams? Two guys who I think the Texans could absolutely target. Yeah, so I'll just start off with Dillard. I'm a big fan of Dillard because – I've learned from previous years that offensive line is definitely by far the hardest position to project outside the quarterback. And you guys know this. Uh, We've seen a lot of guys that have been, I don't want to say scheme proof, but they've had the necessary or requisite type of traits in order to translate to the NFL, but they have flamed out just because of some exterior things that they weren't able to overcome. Uh, But with Dillard, he is already a natural pass protecting type of offensive lineman. So with pass protection traits, it is, nearly impossible to really coach that into guys but with run blocking which is his biggest deficiency it's more easier to coach that into certain tackles just because I think you can hide a guy that isn't a great run blocker by scheme and we saw that at Washington State uh, when they did run the ball I think they had about a 65-35 split compared to pass game run game so he didn't have a lot of exposure to the running game but with that 
once he's able to get in the zone scheme, really to really gets to move laterally, which I think is his biggest strength. I think it's more of a situation where he just has to get into in the way, and he's not a guy that's going to be a mauler or just steamroll guys off the ball. That's just not who he is and the type of makeup that he does have. But as far as just getting in the way and being able to use those movement skills and cut them off laterally, I think he will be able to do that. Um, now with Greedy Williams. I thought he was fantastic as a redshirt freshman, and there was some rumors yeah. coming out about him and why he really took a step back last year. And a lot of people were saying that he kind of was trying to protect himself uh, just because he had bigger aspirations. And I don't know that. I don't want to confirm that, and I don't want to put that out there about him. But there is some belief out there about about that with him, and it comes back to his tackling. And he just didn't show much physicality with tackling he didn't show much effort with doing it and it comes back to that reasoning and a lot of people were saying that was the biggest reason for that just because he was looking forward to you know his big payday in the NFL he wanted to do some things to protect himself but I do have some questions about him at the top of routes as far as the separation that he does allow and I don't think his hips are really as good as a lot of people are making them out to be Mm. now he does have the ability and the length to match and mirror uh, at the line of scrimmage. And I think his technique is really good. But once once receivers start to move east and west and laterally, I think that where his struggles really come. But when they move vertically, he's able to stay hip-to-hip and remain sticky. But I think he's going to be a top-of-the-line starter. Now, I don't think he's going to be an elite pro bowl or all-pro type of player, but I think he definitely can be a top corner on the team's roster. You, you brought up the the statistics there, the, the run pass percentages for Washington State, and that just reminds me of probably my favorite quote from last year when Mike Leach said, if you're trying, if you're trying to run 50%, run 50% pass, that's 100% stupid. So I love that. I just love that quote <laughs> so much, man. Um, being a former quarterback, I got to ask you kind of some detailed questions about where you see this quarterback class because it really seems like Kyler, for most people, is that solidified QB1, and then it really is, I don't want to say a crapshoot, but yeah, kind of a crapshoot after that, depending on who you ask, on who you like, how much they like them, all that kinds of stuff. So where are you on this quarterback class overall? Um, And then just maybe give us your top guys right there that you think uh, have a chance to make a difference on some franchises. I love Kyler, man. And once you get past the height and the mass thing with him, once he did check that box after the combine, I think a lot of people really start to appreciate his game and what it was really worth. And what I mean by that is he has what I like to call the Drew Brees effect. And I'm not saying he's going to be Drew Brees or he's going to be a finished product and end up like Drew Brees, but he's able to overcome his shortcomings by creating throwing windows and have pocket maneuverability. And he sees things before they happen. And I think his anticipation skills are top-notch, and he has to have that because he's not going to see every target out there just because he's only 5'10", and he's not going to be able to see the whole entire field like a taller guy would be able to see over that offensive lineman. And I don't really care about a quarterback's height, honestly. It's just can he get it to point A to point B in a timely manner. And I think a big thing that Kyler Murray has working in his favor is you have to be able to create off script in today's game. And if you think about all Mm. the quarterbacks from last year, whether that was Baker Mayfield, Sam Darnold, Josh Allen, and even Lamar Jackson to an extent, all those guys were able to create off schedule because the state of the offensive line throughout the league, there's a huge discrepancy in talent between the offensive and defensive lines throughout the league because all these athletic guys are coming in defensive linemen I'm speaking of all these guys are so athletic and then with offensive linemen there's just a shortage of supply so the difference in talent is just getting greater and greater by the year so you have to have these guys that not only can stand in there and win from the pocket but you have to be able to create outside of it as well and that's what you saw 
with those guys last year. And that's why I love Kyler Murray so much. And we've seen it. You guys have seen it. He's able to remain – his accuracy is able to remain intact when even – when he's breaking the pocket outside, but also when he's within it as well. Now, he does have some struggles over the middle and testing tight windows to an extent, and a lot of guys are really schemed to be wide open at some points. But that's where his downfield accuracy really did shine. And it's not as good as Baker Mayfield's from a year ago, but I think it's probably one step down from that. And it's probably really close that and you saw all these explosive plays he was able to generate down the field and then you couple that with how well he's able to just get outside of the pocket and then take off and run and I love that he slides and protects himself he's not a guy that's going to take a whole bunch of these hits and a lot of people are saying that he doesn't have a lot of armor in order to hold up in the league but he does a great job of protecting himself and so that's another great trait that I wrote down about him and my guy he really slides and he protects himself and he's not your typical guy, typical guy that just likes to run around and treat himself like as if he's a running back. So I'm a huge fan of Kyler Murray. After that, I have Dwayne Haskins, and he's kind of been dinged a bit here lately. And I think the best comparison I can give for him is that he reminds me a lot of Teddy Bridgewater coming out. Now, I think his upside is much better than what Teddy's was coming out, but I think he's a bigger version of him. And I mean that from two phases, off the field and on the field. He has a quiet, laid-back type of demeanor, but he has that quiet confidence and magnetic type of personality that a lot of people are able to gravitate towards and then on the field he takes advantage of the short to intermediate areas and they run a lot of what's called the mess concept so there's a lot of crossers um, coming from opposite sides of the field and they also have another option a third option that sits directly in the middle of the mesh mm-hmm. so it's ba- basically a triangle read uh, and I don't want to get too technical for the listeners. So there's always a triangle read with the mesh concept, depending on if there's man coverage or zone coverage with that. And he was just the master of that. And Urban Meyer and Ryan Day did a fantastic job of just whether it was a condensed set or a bunch set of just manipulating ways of how just to give different variances of how they can run this type of mesh concept with Dwayne Haskins. And that's really where he shows. But similar to Similar to Teddy, he really struggles with his down-the-field accuracy, and it's really hit or miss when he does take his shots down the field. So he reminds me a lot of Teddy Bridgewater coming up. I love so many things you said, and I'm working backwards from the things that I remember. Number one, uh, yeah, Haskins and Mesh, man. I mean, Ohio State had no shame. They'd run it 35, 40 times a game. They didn't care. Yeah. Dare yeah. you to stop it? <laughs> if you go into contextualized quarterbacking and you look, you'll find that 18.3% of Haskins yardage, which is a very high number, came from the middle of the field, zero to nine yards of target depth, which is where mesh is. I mean, it's just they fed it unbelievably. And yeah, there's yeah. questions about the other aspects of his game accordingly. I also love what you said about the need to extend plays, the need to be able to escape pressure, because we're seeing in the league, as you very rightfully said, that quarterbacks who can't escape, quarterbacks who can't extend plays, who are stuck in the pocket, really struggle to have high upside, high ceiling, and impact games at a high level. And that's, yeah, I mean, that, that that's Kyler to a T. He's absolutely incredible when he's when he's freelancing. I want to look a little bit more at the Texans because, yeah, eventually we do have to look a little bit more at the Texans. Right now, you know, when we on, on the Draft Network, we have the team needs listed. Uh, the Texans are a team that we have offensive tackle listed twice and interior offensive line listed twice because they could really use – so much help on that interior offensive line. When you look at what they've got so far on the depth chart in terms of their potential starting five, and then you look at some of these options who are, are you know, maybe tackle guard swing players, maybe center guard swing players. The Texans have three picks in the first, like, 55 
how many would you be willing to spend on the offensive line? And would you target guys who have swing ability? Or would you really try to like lock down a left tackle, lock down a right tackle? What would be your approach to fixing this offensive line? I think they just have to get anybody that has a pulse in there, honestly. <laughs> they, <laughs> they, they need some supreme help up front, and they definitely need a tackle. And I think that's probably what they will, ta- uh, what they will target. Uh, at 23 and they're going to have a plethora of options now it's not going to be top of the line options like the jonah williams or Jawan taylor any anything of that sort so they will have some later down the line type of type of options but i mean guys this team led the league in sacks allowed last year with 62 the quarterback did not even ride the i'm not sure if you guys heard the story but deshaun watson couldn't even take a plane to some games last year he had to ride on the bus to jacksonville listen if my offensive line was giving up 62 sacks i wouldn't want to ride with him anyway i'd also make up a medical concern so i could take a different bus (laughs) so they have to find some type of protection for him and it would be best if they do get some guys that that do have some versatility and they tried to patchwork it last year, signing Senio Calamente and Zach Fulton, but those guys didn't really turn out as good as they thought or what they imagined when they did sign up to some lucrative deals, lucrative deals last year. Um, but I think they will probably will target tackles. I think they'll give Nick Martin another run at center, even though he's kind of been underwhelming uh, when they did draft him a few years back. So I think offensive tackle probably will be the position that they look to target at 23. All right, well kind of highlighted a little bit there so i guess i'll put you on the clock right now you're picking for the texans in this guest mock draft you kind of highlighted a couple of positions they really need and one that they you think they need a lot is that where you're going who's your pick going to be at number 23 yeah i think andre dillard and i think if he's there for them at 23 i think they would run to the podium and you talk about a guy that can be your franchise left tackle of the future to protect Deshaun watson's blind side and i mean I don't know what they were thinking signing Matt Khalil, and I'm not sure what they thought when they did sign him to that one-year deal. And I think they're really fooling themselves if they think he's going to be a long-term solution there. And I think they have to treat it as if they never even signed him. So getting Dillard to protect the blind side of Deshaun Watson, I think that would be a perfect type of solution for them. Then what do you think, this, Jordan? Are there? Well, I want to know. Are there any greedies off the board? Byron's off the board. You personally, are there any corners you think might be worth a late round one selection besides those two? Not for me, and I'm not a big fan yeah. of this corner class. And I think those guys are probably the only two that I would be comfortable with spending a first round pick on. And who knows? I think the run on corner probably is going to be in the section where the Texans are. I think it may start at twenty. With the Steelers, I think Byron Murphy or Greedy Williams could go there. So they're in prime position if they do want to take a corner there. But I think offensive line, I think it overrides the need for DB right now. I hear you. Makes a lot of sense. Makes a lot of sense. Jordan, that was awesome, man. That was a fantastic breakdown of, of not only yourself, but how you scout prospects, some of the guys in this draft, and then a little Texan stuff too. We really threw it at you because – you're not like a full-time Texas beat reporter, and we just were kind of like, hey, you want to come on and pick for the Texans? He's like, yeah, man, sure, I'm ready for it. So really appreciate you coming on, man. We really enjoyed it. Thank you guys for having me. It was a blast. All right, Ben, half the podcast down, got half to go. The Raiders, their second pick of the first round, coming up next. All right, everybody, welcome back to the Locked on NFL Draft podcast. Myself, Trevor Sikama, here with Benjamin Solak. Now we're at 25. Can I say like mid-20s now, Ben? Am I allowed to do that? 24. 
What did I say? 24, 25? What did I say? Yeah. It's, you said 25. It's 24. Oh, okay. You're right, mid, you're right. Mid, mid 20s. We're in the, we're in the mid tritile, which is quartile, but three. Wow. Okay. That word was, that word was way too big for me. Um, not sure if also it would be... not real, but <laughs> I would, that's probably why I didn't recognize it. Um, but somebody who probably has a better vocabulary than me is our next guest picking for the Oakland Raiders who are making their second of three first round picks. Ted Wynn had the fourth overall pick. He was on with us uh, about a week or so ago, ended up picking Quinn and Williams. But now for pick number 24, we got Austin Gale, who is, I have to say your title, you're a strategy analyst. And I love that title so much at Pro Football Focus. Austin, how you doing, man? It's good to be with you. Doing great, man. Thanks for having me on. Now, I'm not going to lie. We talked about this earlier before I recorded this. Austin hooked me up with so much like PFF stuff, like certain analytic numbers for when I was covering the Bucks at Peter Report. I didn't even realize that like Austin was a Raider guy. Like I didn't even realize that. And you said that you're from Oakland, right? You had season tickets. You and your fam had season tickets? That's correct. Me and my dad had season tickets to the Raiders for about eight years before I went to San Diego State. I haven't been to too many games in Oakland since, but I have had chances to see them here in Chinky this past year. I've been to them while I was in San Diego when San Diego Chargers still existed. But yeah, big Raiders guy growing up. Wow. RIP the San Diego Chargers. You, right. have, uh, you have thoughts on the Raiders moving to Vegas, Austin? Uh, it, it had to happen with Mark Davis and his current financial situation. He had to go where the money was going to be. And I think Las Vegas makes a ton of sense there. Practically had the stadium bought for him yeah. from the Las Vegas officials. He, w- he wasn't going to get that in Oakland. And I think he made the right move in terms of where he's at financially. Some Raiders fans in Oakland obviously butthurt about it, but he had to do it if he's going to keep owning that team. Yeah, no, it makes sense. And man, getting a pro football team in Vegas is going to be wild. Um, I think Trevor. that's and if they'll draft Vegas 2020, I'll see you there, Tiger. Bro, I am so excited for that. Okay, let's, let's get it. Let's get right to the draft talk. All right, like I said earlier, Ted Wynn took Quinn and Williams at number four for the Raiders. Quinnen, where it's a great pick, I'm not debating that part of it, doesn't really fill a need, right? I mean, like interior defensive line isn't a super high need for this Raiders team. Do you kind of see it like that? If they go with Quinnen, what are some of the positions then if you look at this roster that – they need to highly consider with 24 and 27 if they're going to really let themselves maybe pick best player available there at number four. I agree that Quinnen doesn't fill a need. You have Maurice First there, P.J. Hall, those those guys that you have to have pan out given where they were, you know, not where Maurice First was drafted, but definitely where P.J. Hall was drafted coming out of Sam Houston State. Doesn't fill a need, but I love the pick from Ted Nguyen there. Get best player available. You're not going to get a Quinnen Williams in every draft, so getting him at four made a ton of sense. Technically falling to four, in my opinion. He's one of the best players in this class. But going to 24 and 27, Pass rush is still in need along the edge. Right now, Arden Key, Joseph Mauro, I think it's the other edge defender slotted to start with the Oakland Raiders. There's not a ton of love there at the at the edge at, at the edge defender position for Oakland. So you wish there was an edge defender here at twenty four. I don't see one that I love at that pick. So the next position of need goes to cornerback. Jerry Conley has been the guy in flashes. Needs to stay healthy, needs to stay on the field. But opposite of him, there isn't a ton of excitement. I think corner makes a ton of sense, given the edge players already off the board. Yeah, and, and I'm happy you brought up Gary on Conley's name because I really like Conley coming out, and I'm hoping that I can see him healthy, and I'm hoping that we can see him take on more of a role. Obviously, there's there's a huge vacuum in corners, and you also mentioned the vacuum at edge. I'm pretty sure when we talked to Ted 
uh, Arden Key was the only rostered edge or something like that. You know what I mean? Like it was in a really bad shape. So let me ask you this. Uh, I'm pretty sure I asked a similar question to Ted, but even if I didn't, it'll be the first brush of it. I want to know on a team that's cycled in a ton of veterans and has added a, a, a ton of guys on, you know, like one year deals and short deals over, over, I think, even Gruden's entire tenure. Who are the young players that you're looking for in a rebuilding team to really step forward and to take on a bigger role? We've probably already circled two in Gary and Conley and in uh, an Arden Key. But a lot of the young guys that I think we, from the national perspective, look at on the Raiders, like, you know, we thought about like Carl Joseph and Obi Melfonmu. Well, they're out the door. And so who are the, the developmental pieces that you think really need to take a step forward in year two for the Raiders to not find themselves drafting in the top five come next year? I mean, you got to start with Colton Miller. They, they reached on him by a severe degree. He's starting there at left tackle. Now that Trent Brown's in, he maybe moves to right, which hinders his development, which John Gruden preached he did not want to do, move him back to right tackle. But that is looking like the case now that they made Trent Brown the highest paid offensive lineman in NFL history. Colton Miller needs to take a huge step forward, needs to stay healthy, needs to be able to be on the field and produce at that first round pedigree he does bring and Brandon Parker as well this is the guy they traded up for in the third round to get to the number one pick of the third round and take this guy out of North Carolina A&T back-to-back FBS picks including PJ Hall in the second round you have to hope those two small school kids can get bigger in the offseason learn the NFL speed and produce like where they were drafted Arden Key is obviously a guy you like race first where his draft value is you've already gotten a lot of value in where you picked him, just with what he produces in his rookie year. Fifth-round picks don't do much what he did last year. So those are some names in that draft class that need to step up. A lot of guys that were overdrafted, a lot of projects that need to start panning out in Oakland. I want to ask you about Derek Carr because depending on what Raiders fans I talk to, some have a lot of faith in him, some don't have any faith at all. Obviously, his situation kind of is what it is there in Oakland. Kind of from your perspective, let's just get your perspective here. What's your outlook on Derek Carr? What are you thinking is is still maybe the ceiling for him? And then, what might be the timeline for him as this franchise quarterback at the moment? How long is his leash? How long will they continue to go with him? Is it as short of, hey, if he screws up this year, they're moving on next year? What's kind of your outlook of what might be in a timeline here for Derek Carr? I mean, there are rumors now that they want to move on from him with this draft. You know, they want to take Drew Lockett four, and they want to maybe trade up for Kyler Murray and start this thing over because they are not confident in Derek Carr. And they have reason to be. His 2016 season objectively was an outlier. We see here at Pro Football Focus, play under pressure is the most volatile stat at the quarterback position. His best year in the NFL was very good under pressure. Every other year, very bad under pressure. But what has stayed consistent is his middle of the pack to below-average play from a clean pocket. His best season, he ranks 17th in pass rating and passing grade from a clean pocket. That's going to stay put. We've seen that as one of the least volatile stats going from the college level to the pros, and especially when you're going from pro to pro year over year. Derek Carr is a middle-of-the-pack to below-average quarterback and always will be. If you want to surround him with a great supporting cast and try and chase the Super Bowl that way, follow every other team that hasn't won the Super Bowl. They need to move on from him <laughs> and find a quarterback that elevates the cast around him doesn't need a supporting cast, but elevates the cast around him if they are going to chase a race. See, I love, but I love that. It's so important for analysts and, and, and educated fans, but also analysts to be able to say he's a middle of the pack quarterback to the bottom of the, of the, the you know, bottom feeder quarterback. And if you're going to try to win with that, this is how you have to do it. And if you're going to acknowledge that that's what he is, well, then you have to move on from him. Like, like that's an important understanding for team building. So I'm happy you said it 
Austin, you've done a ton of really, really cool and fun interviews with prospects. And I don't know if this is something you did last year. I don't remember it nearly as, as well, but I remember it this year for sure. It's been awesome. and I really enjoyed following it. I know you, uh, you've gotten to talk to Jonah Williams. You've gotten to talk to, I think, Brian Burns. I think Miles Boykin as well. Who have been some of the best prospects that you've talked to, the most entertaining guys? What are some of the, the coolest nuggets that you can tell us in your one-on-one conversations with these players? This has been a growing list. I get this question a little bit because I have talked to a fair amount of guys, and I'm starting to love everybody. Brian Burns is a guy that I really fell in love with in the interview process. He's a, such a smart player. Yeah, so, so we had we had Brian Burns on, on the Draft News podcast here on, on, on the Draft Networks, and, and his, his interview was amazing. His, his ability to talk about the pass rush was so cool. I didn't mean to interrupt you, but yeah, Brian Burns is awesome. Absolutely. And when you ask him how you want to improve, he's bringing up pass rush moves he wants to get better at, ones he wants to learn, ones he knows he's good at and needs to mix up. It's fantastic to hear him how nuanced his game is. He talked to me and said every day he trains. He obviously works in the workout room, tries to get some on-field drills. But after that, he watches himself. He records himself train and sees where he can get better. Even in his training, it's absurd how committed he is to getting better. And that kind of mentality, I think, translates to the next level. Other interviews I've liked, Boise State running back Alexander Madison, a bilingual kid that is so smart, it's absurd. It's crazy how he approaches the running back position. A lot of film study, very committed to the weight room as well. And Jonah Williams, I think he has been the cherry on top of what has been an outstanding pre-draft process for me from an interview perspective. Hearing him break out the spreadsheets he sent me, his spreadsheets, I mean, come on. You're a pro football focus. What, what were the that spreadsheets? That is you're going to get. So he charts pass rushers, his opponents. So say it's week 12 in the college what? football season. He'll watch, every, yes, he'll watch every pass rush snap of the opponent he's going to go again, charts his total pass rush, uh, total pass rush snaps, Yo. the moves he used, and the moves he wins on. Then creates a spider chart based off their four most popular moves and decides Yo! which move he's going to... Dude, this is what I'm telling you. He decides which move he thinks he's best at, tells his scout team player to use that move all week long, and continues to try and get better in that week to prepare against that move. It is incredible how much this guy's a technician, how much he's a perfectionist. He watches so much film on his opponents, but also watches more film on himself. He says he watches himself more than he watches other players. It's exciting to see where this guy's going to go. It's a big reason why he's number four on pro football focus. His draft board, number one offensive tackle. This guy has the mindset to be a good offensive tackle. And I also talked to him about, obviously, the elephant in the room, his arms being a little bit shorter than everybody else's. But he said he's learned with hand placement that he can get above that. He can beat other offensive you know, defenders that have longer arms than him with hand placement, with inside hand placement. He's smart enough to understand that. I think a guy that understands weaknesses acknowledges that it is a weakness but is willing to find ways to get better and avoid it being a true weakness on the field is incredible to see. I think Jonah is an outstanding interview and I think he's going to be an outstanding player. I'm about to I'm about to personally do whatever I can to tank Jonah Williams' stock so he doesn't play in the NFL and we can hire him <laughs> at TDN. That's what I'm Listen, about to do. I'm willing to <laughs> risk it all right now for Jonah. We talk about like offensive linemen have to be a little crazy, right? The young man has spider charts and Excel spreadsheets Bro, of his that's opponents' incredible. rush moves. That's all I need to hear. Ready that's, to risk it all. That's fan. That's that's an awesome little nugget. Okay, one one question I wanted to ask you before we get to uh, what your pick is ultimately going to be for the Raiders, unless Ben has another one, I don't know. But I just wanted to ask you, what's it been like? See, just I can think following this team, covering this team, whatever you call it, with Mike Mayock as GM. What little things are you kind of like noticing about him? 
Um, is he different than maybe what you thought it would be? Is How open and honest is he? Because he was a guy who I thought was super open and honest when he was certainly an analyst, but I wonder how much of his, that is instinctive of just him or how much it's changed with him as a GM. What are some things that you've picked up? Have you, has his time been good so far there? Have you, are you kind of trusting it with him at the helm? Absolutely. I think you have to love his work ethic, his due diligence, how thorough he is in this draft process, talking to other Raiders beat writers at the combine, they speak to how much this guy works, how much this guy cares. It's really a craft. The draft for him is a craft, something that he's constantly refining. You have to love him at the helm, but he's not at the helm. John Gruden will still be pulling the strings until this 10-year contract is done. What some beat writers have told me is that John Gruden is taking a step back from the recruiting. He's taking a little bit of a step back from the pre-draft process and focusing on other things but he is ultimately the guy that has the call. So if Mike Mayock comes banging on the table for what Jonah Williams at four or whoever it may be, it's Gruden's call no matter what. And I think John Gruden, him not being as involved in the draft process and maybe wanting to go on these win decisions kind of scares me more. I don't know. It's hard to say. It's really difficult to see where the Raiders are going, especially after last year's draft. You have to hope bringing in Mike Mayock it's somebody that John Gruden can trust, and he'll kind of let take the reins. But in the end, if John Gruden falls in love with a guy, say a Drew Locke, say a Daniel Jones, the guy that he was able to coach up there at the Senior Bowl, I would not put it past the Raiders trying to reach on a guy that Gruden loves, even if it goes against Mike Mayock's work. Yeah, see, to me, when I think, I think from what I've heard and seen, I think Gruden's head over heels for Kyler, which makes the whole, like, will they, won't they at number one with Arizona very interesting. I don't know if you've heard anything on – Gruden and Kyler, is there, is there fire there with their smoke or no? I, I think there's fire there. I think they definitely like Kyler. And I think if, if Arizona has a price in mind, the Raiders have the capital. The Raiders have that ability with five first-rounders in the next two drafts to move up to that spot and take Kyler Murray from Cliff Kingsbury. I think if John Gruden wants him bad, he has all the ammo to do it. And I think he will do it if Arizona takes the offer. However, I do think that marriage is just too sweet between Cliff Kingsbury and uh, Kyler Murray. It'll take a lot from them to move from that spot because you have to think at this point, they choose their own destiny. They're building the roster around what they're going to do with that number one overall pick to shift this late in the game. Doesn't seem right. I think they're going to stay put and take Kyler regardless of what John Gruden throws on their plate. Okay. I have to ask you this just because we had Danny Kelly on yesterday to talk about the Seahawks and we were talking about the whole wild Russell Wilson situation. And so I just want to ask you, if you're the Raiders, would you trade all three of your first-round picks for Russell Wilson? Absolutely, hands down. I'd throw in Derek Carr as a little garnet. Yes! Three first picks. Yes, or yes, yes, Austin! I love it! I love it! <laughs> three first-rounders is a no-brainer for a guy that can take you to that next level, that elevates the supporting cast. He makes everybody on the team better. He makes the defense better. I don't even understand why this conversation has risen. It doesn't make any oh, sense to me. No Russell sense. Wilson is an outstanding player that changes the game for offenses and defense. I was actually talking to somebody about this, and they were like, it, it was a Raiders person. They're like, if I'm the Raiders, because I, I literally asked them this exact question. I said, if you're the Raiders, would you trade three first-round picks for Russell Wilson? And they said no. And I was like, would you trade three first-round picks to get up to number one to draft Kyler? And they said yes. And I immediately had flashbacks to the Family Guy video where it's like, yes, like exactly. Russell Wilson is Russell Wilson, but Kyler Murray could be anything. He could even be Russell Wilson. So, so I don't know. So that was I just I just had to ask you that question. Okay, let's get to the actual pick, though. Number 24 You've highlighted 
Some of the needs, obviously, they took Quinn and Williams at number four at the top of this. We explained that that doesn't really fill a need, so there's a lot of other spots that they could go. The board, not really friendly for a lot of guys that are falling um, in, I think, normal mock drafts. It's just this guest mock does not seem to be going a very popular way the closer we get down to the draft. So with this board the way that it is, who would you pick for the Raiders and why? Here at number 24, I think with the edge defenders off the board, I'm looking to cornerback and looking at the number 16 player in this class, according to Pro Football Focus's latest board, it is DeAndre Baker out of Georgia. I okay. think he's an outstanding okay. player. His three-year, his three-year coverage grade in this class is 93.5, which ranks second behind only our favorite corner in Byron Murphy. His production is absurd. Over across a 1,000-plus coverage snaps in his career, he's allowed one touchdown. Very few deep passes. He's an elite corner in this class. We believe in his coverage. I, we do understand his concerns. He's a little, little too physical down the field, and he has long speed concerns. We think he can get tested deep and maybe even get beat deep. However, how he's improved in his career and how he's been able to limit his weak or shield his weaknesses against top tier talents is impressive. You watch him against speedsters like Emmanuel Hall. Marquise Brown, you see that he can hang a little bit in his own way. It's not that he's running stripe for stripe. He gets physical and maybe a little too handsy at times, but we think he can overcome those issues, remove some of the flags, and really be an outstanding player in the NFL. I think here with the Raiders and with Paul Gunther at defensive coordinator, they can put him in a system opposite of Gary Conley and really thrive. I think he brings physicality, playmaking ability, and something that the Raiders had, haven't had in a long time possibly a good pass defense and coverage. I think it's an exciting pick, and though it may not be edge defender, a primary need for Oakland, I think it's a great player and the best player available on Pro Football Focus's sport. I like the idea of putting somebody on the opposite side of Gary Ann Conley. What do you think, Ben? It has to be done because, especially if you're going to go Quinn and early, then you really have to address need with these other first-rounders. Like If you're going to have the capital, go get starters where you desperately need starters on the roster. Yep. No, it makes sense. I'm not super high on Baker, really more of because of the intangible stuff that worries me um i thought he i went into the year with concerns about him with athleticism and speed i thought he did a pretty good job of of uh, correcting those and making sure that that he proved that he did have the athleticism to win he was able to get physical and he could really be an alpha corner which is something that you want especially if you're picking a first round corner so that kind of those concerns aren't nearly what they were before the season when i started but um just hearing some little off the field things that might uh, turn me off to him, but certainly if you're getting the full player and DeAndre Baker, it makes a lot of sense, especially if he's opposite a guy like Gary Ann Conley. Austin, that was awesome, man. Thank you so much for all the insight. Really enjoyed it. Of course, thank you. Have a good one, <sighs> Ben. Now we're at 25, right? Now, guy said I'm it. Er- said it earlier in the podcast, <laughs> and now messed up. But your Eagles on the clock tomorrow. I know you're excited for it. Everybody else should be excited for it. Ben's going to be giddy like a little child. Until then, you guys keep it locked right here on Lockdown NFL Draft.